Hello, Arizona Cardinals fans. Welcome into the Revenge of the Birds podcast. I'm joined here with my co-host at Johnny's Football. I'm at Blake Murphy Seven on Twitter, and uh, yeah, we are here to talk about another Arizona Cardinals loss, which you'd think we'd be used to after having ten of these, um, but it, it just feels a bit different here. The Cardinals do go out after a tough, maybe their best, most complete game of the season in Green Bay, come back home against a Detroit Lions team. The Lions were favored in this game, but the Cardinals go out, put up a huge clunker of a game that had people snoring in the stands. Some fans were leaving in the third quarter. Uh, John, let's get into some of this game and talk about that. But this was just such a letdown game, and this is something we talked about that we might have seen coming. I know that was something I even talked about in the podcast, so maybe you got a little too hype about with Green Bay. yeah, it's, it sucks to be in this spot, but before we jump into the Arizona Cardinals and just the, the malaise of the offense that we saw yet again for the team, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing well, Blake. I'm, I'm thankfully on the Pacific Coast time zone, mm-hmm. transitioning my family out west, and uh, we're recording a little bit later in the week than we normally do because I'm um, jumping around city to city. I'm in Oregon. I'm heading up to Portland next week for work, but uh, I'm happy to be on the, the, the same time zone as our, as our faithful Cardinals <laughs> for the most part. So, uh, yeah, the game itself, Blake, it was a, a, a recipe for the same kind of offensive um, ineptitude that we've seen consistently all season from the Arizona Cardinals. And, and we talk about it again and again at nauseum, the fact that this team, for whatever reason, is so offensively challenged to the to the point that you know they are a very difficult watch and you can lose a lot of different ways in this league um and you can be competitive and still at the end of the day have a losing record and feel hopeful about things to come the cardinals just don't have that vibe specifically because they are so poor offensively scoring only three points against an average to below average Detroit Lions defense, a defense that has essentially no pass rush. Sure, they can stop they the run. pass rushers, too. That was part of yeah. it. Yeah. Like Ziggy Ansay, again, hurt. Uh, I mean, they've underperformed this year. They played better defensively as of late, but the Cardinals, they have no home field advantage. They have no threat now with Christian Kirk on the outside. We, we're probably seeing the final days of, of Larry Fitzgerald, but offensively, Blake, it, it is just so depressing because they can establish no consistency up front because of the lack of a push on the offensive line. The talent is not there. The talent is likely not there right now at the receiver position. David Johnson has nowhere to run. And Josh Rosen looks to me like he's a little bit, he's got happy feet to this point, Blake. He's, he's seen pressure when it's not there based on the fact that he's been hit so many times this season. He is rushing his throws. He's throwing high. I mean, the Cardinals to me, this was, um, via Aaron uh, Schatz on uh, footballoutsiders.com, the Cardinals have the fifth, according to uh, Football Outsiders, since 1986. They've got the fifth worst offense through 13 games. Mm -hmm. And they're up there with the likes of the uh, 2005 San Francisco 49ers, 1992 Seattle Seahawks, 2002 Houston Texans, and 1997 New Orleans Saints. And the Cardinals are in 2018. These, this is the, the most recent team on that list was 13 years ago when the league was, was much, much different. Yeah. So I made the argument that they could conceivably be and should be higher on that list based on the time in which they're playing, how the, the rules are so 
offensive heavy. They favor them so much now, and the Cardinals, for whatever reason, can't get with it. And I think we'll talk about it, you know, again, Blake, is it personnel, is it coaching, is it a combination of both? But I think this this game itself just showed you how far they still have to go to even be considered a competent NFL offense. Defensively, we saw some improvements. Hassan Reddick probably played his best game as a pro, showed that he was the highest rated player via pro football focus in this game for the Cardinals. Um, and that's great. That's probably something you can build on. But when you talk about, you know, this Detroit Lions team was coming into this game. And again, five and seven on the year, Blake, just looking incredibly lackluster the last two weeks. They only scored 16 points um, the last two weeks against the Bears and the Rams took losses yeah. in both games. That's that's why I thought the Cardinals had a chance in this game because mm-hmm. I said, if they can even score 20 points, I think they had a good shot at winning and, and turns out that would have been enough. But, you know, not only your your offense is, is putting you behind the eight ball, they're giving up points in, in the Rosen pick six. And so, yes, defensively, they held Matthew Stafford to, to a pedestrian 101 yards. I, I thought they did a decent job on the running game until they wore down late. But, I mean, the story of this game and the story of this season is the ineptitude of the Cardinal offense. And for whatever reason, um, well, I know the reasons. I, I'd like to think I do. Uh, I don't see it getting any better anytime soon until there's a major shakeup in personnel and especially head coach. Yeah, I, and that seems to be the biggest area. Like, there's, we can even talk about the issues that we saw with uh, Steve Wilkes and with the, at the end of the half was kind of one of the – displays of ineptitude that we saw where Cardinals yeah, get the ball back so in about, I think it was like about 40 something or so seconds. And just the situational football, when you're in that spot and situation, you just know what you're going to do is a huge part of it because you're getting the ball to start the second half. That was what happened. The Lions started off with the ball in the end of the first half. The Cardinals forced a turnover with Buda Baker, basically stopped the driving Lions team. It was a huge turnaround play. I know they go three and out in the next spot and they would just, Clearly, they hadn't designed whatever the idea of were coming in. Steve Wilkes said they had a great game plan and kind of went back on it on day two. That was one of the most interesting things I think we'll be able to talk about as well as just the change. But at the end of the half, it was like, all right, they ran the ball at least for that one, got a one-yard gain. And then it was almost kind of like Wilkes didn't know what he wanted to do after that. When he's like talking to Leftwich, and it seemed like he wanted to be aggressive and try to go for it, maybe take a big shot, get a P.I., flag potentially at least you know you go back there and take a shot to JJ Nelson off of play action you got a decent shot of being able to then take maybe one more shot with some time on the clock left get into field goal range you get the ball to start the second half just that type of situation aggressiveness and Wilkes seemed to be the one that he was saying he was aggressive then there was questions at least about the protection from Byron left which which when I'm looking back and seeing some of the different plays there's a lot of the plays that I saw that Rosen was just being hit very quickly or immediately or was just under pressure where he didn't have as much space to step up one of the plays that stood out to me was uh, Cardinals I think are in a third a second uh, second and I think it was second and sixth situation Rosen goes back to pass you've got three wide receivers lining up and David Johnson swings out of the backfield Rosen turns and hits Johnson as kind of his swing pass behind the line of scrimmage as he's being hit by another guy so he doesn't even have time to get to his first or his second read he just ends up going immediately having to turn to throw the ball to David Johnson as he's getting hit so I think when you're talking about happy feet, I, I would agree. I think that some of the cases, at least, it's the the lack of scheming and the lack of creativity by the offensive coordinator. When you look at later in the game, you get to see Rosen off of a couple of bootlegs. You see some more play action that was successful with the Cardinals being able to draw up a little bit more of that spacing where he is able to hit guys over the middle versus having to go to these long outside routes or having these swing passes behind the line. There was so many screens in that game. David Johnson caught 
I believe it was 10 passes on 12, uh, I'm sorry, it was 10 targets. Eight of those were catches, and it was only 12 yards. So many of those screen passes, the Lions seemed to anticipate when those were going to be called. It was kind of, seems like Leftwich has gotten a little bit too cute with some of those. And so I think that a lot of what we need to talk about ultimately is that the coaching for this team really ended up letting them down. And right after the game, it didn't seem quite evident <laughs> to Wilkes or even to Leftwich at least, that they just seem to have this spot of, when you're talking about the words of clueless and over their head, that was the type of Cardinals coaching that we saw at least today is it's clearly not a coaching staff that's able to take that team to a different level and develop we're still seeing the same problems we've saw and that's kind of the biggest thing I think that's become prevalent is if you were learning from some of the mistakes or if you're able to scheme and learn or plan or develop and have differences that are there instead it seems like the Cardinals are just we're running these areas we're not sure why they're working we don't know how to fix it and that's exactly the feeling that it is is it's a broken team ultimately in a lot of senses and you talked about talent that's what the hardest thing is is this is a broken team and this Cardinals staff isn't equipped with the right tools to fix it or if they are equipped with the tools to fix it they're not in the position of being able to know how it all kind of lines up together there's not obviously a roadmap or a game plan to do that in the NFL but that's kind of how it is John I don't know if you want to look at that argument between Leftwich and Wilkes in the middle of just how it went from one side of the coin of we're going to be aggressive to we're just going to use both of our like timeouts and then just run the clock at the end of the half and run into the tunnel. It just was kind of this whole encapsulated, very similar to the Mike McCoy calling a timeout, uh, you know, the second play of the game, running back out, someone still lined up wrong, and then Rosen ends up having that fumble that was returned for six because someone blew the protection. It was that type of ineptitude that we saw. And that ultimately does fall on this coaching staff. It's not to say that you know, maybe this coaching staff could have succeeded in this position, but clearly this is probably one of the worst coaching staffs in the entire national football league, if not the worst right now. Yeah, it's, it's up there. It's the worst staff that the Cardinals have had in, I think 10, 15 years, at least um, this coaching staff, I think we, we could have success in a perfect scenario. I think Steve Wilkes could work if he inherited a team, let's say that had a franchise quarterback that had some key veteran pieces on offense. And by franchise quarterback, I mean like a veteran, like a Philip Rivers, somebody like that. Um, and then defensively, he had personnel to run his true 4-3. I, I think Wilkes could do okay, but that's not the job he inherited. The job he got was uh, an offense that was in transition, that was elevated by Bruce Arians, and personnel probably best suited for a 3-4. And so now you look at this team – and they've been decimated by injuries. But that I don't use that as an excuse. I know they do for their offensive line, and that's fine. But a lot of teams have injuries. Most teams yeah. have injuries. Um, you have to learn how to rise above it, use the personnel that you have to the best of your ability. And I do think like it's unfortunate because I think they are – I don't want to say improving, but I do see some you know adjustments being made defensively where they're not a total mm -hmm. embarrassment since right. that San Diego game. Now they face two offenses in Green Bay that was just – a shell themselves in, in Detroit who, who has no personnel right now to speak of. Uh, they'll be tested this weekend against Atlanta for sure. But like defensively, like they're fine. They've got uh, a decent pass, you know, defense and their run defense is, is below average. They're, they're, they're just fine. Right. That's not as good as they had been uh, with, with their, with James Betcher and, and company last year. Um, but offensively they're historically bad. And so, you know, when you put those two things together and you say, okay, let's give Steve Wilkes another year. Let's add better personnel offensively. Let's let, you know, 
you know, I've heard this argument made. Let's give Byron Leftwich an offseason with Rosen. Let's do X, Y, and Z. Uh, to me, Steve Wilkes has not shown nearly enough, mm-hmm. nearly enough in this year to warrant another year. And I, again, the same, I don't want to call it the article, but it said, well, let's give Steve Wilkes, you know, or the, the reporter that the posted, let's give Steve Wilkes eight games in the next season before we go to judge. That's way too late. Yeah. If you that you need to give him an additional eight games to evaluate you should either know right now he's the guy or he's not if you've got any question marks at all with rosen deal which you cannot waste you have to cut the cord unless you're 100 percent sold on steve wilkes then my opinion is you have to move on it's best for both parties Listen, his mentor in Carolina is about to get fired. Ron Rivera's lost five, six straight games. Yeah, I mean, it's like looking bad. <laughs> he, he, yeah, it's not it's not an ideal situation, but you know, it, it happens to everybody. Coaches make seven figures. I don't feel bad for them. Um, this is a business, and right now, the product that you're coaching that has similar personnel to a team that went eight and eight last year is one of the worst offenses of the past almost 40 years. Yeah. 40 that, years. That's crazy. And you've and that, got David Johnson. Uh, you've got improvements offensively than what Bruce Arians had. Yeah, and even with that, some of that you can always put into the offensive line. You can talk about the rookie quarterback, and some of that is honestly where you can see some of Rosen's development where he is, you know, not he's not double clutching out there. He at least seems to have enough grasp of the offense. But you talk about like being baited into that throw. You talk about, as we said, even the scheme and the structure of how it was designed up. There might be some steps you could see with Byron Leftwich, but you're ultimately are looking at the team of when he took over, the biggest difference you saw was with the rushing attack. And you were able to see at least a little bit of a difference as far as it came to with Rosen throwing the ball more. You've still, since then, have kind of seen a step back in terms of protecting him. Uh, he's, Rosen is still, to his credit, like I think there was a stat that was there about, he's still throwing as far as the yards per completion is still up there with like some of the other guys. He's at a, like 11 yards per completion overall. He's still attacking downfield. Some of that maybe is the influence of Arians. Some of it is Rosen. Uh, himself just being an aggressive quarterback at least for wanting to make plays and going downfield but it just has not been there where you haven't seen the improvement the Cardinals are still 32nd ranked in offense you're still seeing at least that the Cardinals at least for this game there was we talk about lack of adjustments and this game probably had the most lack of adjustments at least of since the Rams game in that sense where the defense at least you saw how the first quarter, they gave probably about almost 100 rushing yards or so. Like, they were just kind of getting, you know, blown up a little bit left and right. But they were always able to kind of stop when it got down into the, the Lions territory. They forced a turnover there or were able to force a field goal. The issue that you had with the Cardinals is that they came out in the third quarter, at least were able to shut down the Lions. The fourth quarter, there was not any adjustments that were being made because the Lions just came out in 13 personnel, just came played smash mouth football. You looked and saw guys were blocking people very well. It just looked like the Cardinals were inept and had no idea what to do. The adjustments were not being done, and that was just kind of an area. As soon as something shifted or changed, you have to be able to shift and change as a kind of a counterpunch, at least. If they were saying, okay, they're running the tackle zone for that one. We're seeing them starting to march down the field. Cool, we'll call the timeout here real quick, get back over here hey we're seeing that they're basically having to you know blocking man on man for all that just get one guy to disengage get off there you know make the tackle behind there instead you get to see the same type of play just called again and again and again driving down the field and it's that lack of adjustments to that one until you really needed to in the fourth quarter like Cardinals didn't have any type of bootlegs for Rosen until the third quarter. They didn't have any of those passing plays that were over the middle for the most part were off of the play action. 
just the lack of adjustments to me tells me that the coaching staff is it's just it's pathetic and I think that's one of the things we want to switch into now with the topics John is with this offensive line we've at least seen it wasn't like it was terrible like Rosen wasn't under duress or under pressure you saw Joe Barksdale come off the uh, basically off the street at least uh, to be able to take on as a, a role as a right tackle but it wasn't like Rosen, like there was times when we talked about pressure and everything up the middle for the most part, but it wasn't like he was being sacked four or five times. Again, we talked about some of the inaccuracies. I do want to at least talk a little bit about what the talent level on this team, because I think the big question a lot of fans are looking at right now is if Steve Wilkes wasn't the right coach, and if you're looking at some of the other teams around the league of how they've performed, or even like you said, not just Ron Rivera with their struggles they've been having defensively and even on the offensive side for Cam Newton. We can talk at least about the Vikings firing guy. We even talked about on this podcast is potentially an option, at least, and John Filippo fired, let go by the Vikings after a pretty pitiful Monday night game against the Seahawks in which they scored six points <laughs> up until about a minute left or so in the fourth quarter. The Cardinals had scored more points than uh, Filippo's Vikings offense did with all those weapons and all that talent. Is this a spot where the Cardinals, we can say, if that there was a different coach that they should have hired? Or when you look around at how Vrabel's performing, looking at the other options such as Betcher or people who still probably would have been Mike McCoy as their offensive coordinator, how much of this at least is more of on the hiring of Wilkes and just the staff that's been put in place that's being a detractor? Or is this just a difficult situation because of the lack of talent and the way the team has been constructed under Steve Kime? Is that the thing we're looking at where maybe Wilkes and everything need to go, but is this more of a difficult spot where Kime put a coach into a, a situation where it was almost impossible to succeed? I'd like to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, great question. I don't think that's the case. Um, had you off hired Matt Nagy, uh, if you had you hired a, a competent offensive coach, I think this team would be better, not much better. I think probably two wins better, at least if you didn't um, hire Steve Wilkes. But again, um, a lot of this was, I think the offseason was kind of tailored to Steve Wilkes. I think they wanted to bring in a veteran quarterback to, to kind of aid the offense, right? They wanted the offense to be taken care of on the side so Steve Wilkes can focus on the defense. Um, so it, it all kind of intertwines together, Blake, is, is how I see it. And I think that, you know, initially I thought Steve Kime was safe. Now I think there's two scenarios on the table. I think they either both come back or I think they're both gone, right? And so um, I'm leaning toward I think they're both going to lose their jobs and I think they're going to have a major shakeup as they should uh, on the personnel side of things. But, you know, I, I think that had Steve Kime gone into this offseason with the mindset of, okay, Bruce Arians clearly elevated the talent that we have. Um, we need to focus on Number one, securing a young franchise quarterback, which, again, I understand was going to be tough with the 15th pick. They didn't think they were going to get Josh Rosen. Um, but, again, make it a priority to get a young quarterback. Yeah, and they then, even got a veteran quarterback, I think, is the other pick we can talk about as well. Too. Yeah. They didn't pursue McCown. They went after Sam Bradford and paid him essentially on kind of a one-year deal with for $20 million and then threw in kind of a second year just in case they, you know, needed to go and have that extra year if he played well enough. And it was clearly a move that we kind of just poked around. <laughs> yeah, we didn't fun at it. Nobody liked it at the time, right? I, I think fans – I, I think I know what Steve Kahn was thinking. I think he thought he was getting a, a poor man's Carson Palmer again and was going to try to strike lightning in the bottle for the second time. Uh, and I think most fans saw through that. They saw through the fact that Bradford has never consistently won in the NFL, yeah. that he has a, you know, a, a, a horrendous injury of, of injuries and uh, not being able to, to 
you know, suit up on Sunday and that he's in- incredibly passive and that he's probably a shot fighter, right? Uh, but Steve Kime, for whatever reason, thought sticking Sam Bradford behind his makeshift offensive line that included signing Andre Smith was a good idea. So I don't want to put yeah. too much on Steve Wilkes. Uh, I'd probably say it's a 60-40 coaching personnel uh, in terms of the problems that they have. Uh, again, that doesn't mean that I think that the personnel on this team is is a top, you know, third, top half of the league. Yeah. But I think it's the it's the lesser of two evils when you talk about the coaching that that's being displayed. I think any team with David Johnson that's had Christian Kirk for, for most of the year, that's got Larry Fitzgerald, that's got the 10th pick in the draft, um, should be able to score more points than they're than what they're doing it's just it's an embarrassment right now Mm -hmm. and so i i can i continue to go back to that um but i i also think that you know at the end of the day had steve gone and gone the route of a young offensive head coach at the very least you're able to hang your hat on the fact that he and rosen can can grow together and i think we would have seen improvements later in the season yeah like we were we continually gave Wilkes the benefit of the, of the doubt early on in the season because, okay, well let's see what this team looks like in, in <laughs> yeah, late October, November, um, and we haven't seen any improvement offensively, and that's just not his his wheelhouse, right? He needs somebody to hold his hand, and that's not good enough, right? And with an offensive head coach, at the end of the day, hopefully you're losing. If you're losing, you're losing games. You know, thirty to twenty-seven or twenty-eight to twenty-four. You're scoring points. You're in the game. You're engaged. Or being able to see your quarterback developing. You're able to see right. other weapons. You're looking for other things. Like we saw that development from Christian Kirk this year, where he's probably maybe not a wide receiver one in the NFL at least, but being a solid wide receiver two and a guy who can just score on a dime on a fifty-nine yard touchdown just on. Uh, you know, a quick wide receiver screen. That's like that type of mismatch that you want to see. And they sorely missed him in this game, but there wasn't really a game plan that was designed to benefit any of the other towns. There wasn't anything that we really saw to Ricky Seals Jones until the last drive offensive drive in the fourth quarter, the Lions came out and double bracketed Larry Fitzgerald. They even admitted it. And when they just rushed up in the passer, a lot of the passes that were designed for David Johnson were just behind the line of scrimmage. And the Lions knew what those passes were coming and just basically hunted, ran through David Johnson. The timing wasn't quick enough for Johnson to shake any tacklers loose and be able to get down the field. So it was just the overall design of the structure you can see is some of that criticism that I think should be left onto Byron Lefkowitz, where it's no longer just questions about with how the scheme and the design is. Maybe there'd be improvements where he would shift away from some of the areas, but just the play calling in general, you're going to have issues with play calling. That's part of, I know, with the Filippo and that firing that the Vikings fans said, look, the scheme looks like it's fine. There's just the calls that are there, at least for some of the areas on comeback routes on third and three, at least that they were having, at least that were that same type of comeback routes and third and three. And some of the things that just got either predictable or it got to the point where they weren't able to run anything or didn't feel comfortable running anything else. So sometimes that's you only trust your talent with so much because of the porous offensive line, but you have to be able to at least do a better job. And I think that you're, you're dead on. And if you had a solid or decent offensive coach or even had an offensive coordinator who you're seeing performance and production out of, that would be at least enough of a reason to bring back Steve Wilkes as it is. We've seen the same Cardinals offense for the most part since, you know, about week five or so after the Seattle game was done with Rosen. There's been minimal improvement that we've seen, but overall it just kind of shows that the, the team needs to move into a different direction. For sure, as far as the coaching, I think this game did ultimately – seal it in that regard and because partially as after this game it's really hard to see like we, we I, I think if you looked at the Cardinals fans and told them hey Cardinals are going to have a 17 to 3 game against Green Bay 
They're going to lose that one. And then they're going to come back the next week and win. And I think it was 20 to 17 against um, the Lions. You would have bought that yep. as Cardinals fans. You would have basically Especially said, yep, in the, in the snow, only scoring, 13, or only scoring three points. Exactly. So you would have bought that like they did what they were supposed to do. That's what we expected. The fact that they went out and played a, a, a great game, and that was you know a game that was surprising enough that it got Mike McCarthy fired, that's, I think, what a lot of Cardinals fans found a little hard to accept from this game was how you can go out and be able to punch it. And I think maybe some of that comes down to you just hit things at the right time with McCarthy just being out the door, being able to run the football in the snow. Green Bay perhaps wasn't expecting it, and so you punched them in the mouth. And then this week, because you got up a little bit, we've noticed this with the Cardinals. They don't bounce back after wins. They've not won a, a back-to-back games all season long. Lions seemed like they were ready for it. They were coming off of a loss. They were the ones who kind of came out and were driving down the field. I think there was the ebb and flow that went into – and really what we can talk about is there's been a couple of times in games that we've seen it, but really ever since that 2015 season with that, I, I just think back to that Philadelphia Eagles game with Tyron Matthews injury after those three touchdowns from David Johnson, this Cardinals team has really struggled when they've gotten punched in the mouth. They've really struggled to be able to bounce back consecutively. They've kind of come up at a time for a game or two, uh, but they didn't win two games in a row until the end of the season last year, I believe when they were, you know, playing some of the worst teams in the division and then that Seattle victory at the end of the year. But they really have just struggled, at least when they get punched in the mouth. And Bruce Arians, to his credit, he was able to take steps forward, at least be able to adjust. You saw some great adjustments with Gabbard. Um, You saw some final, at least, admissions from Steve Wilkes. I'll give him credit for it. He finally, at least after on Sunday's game, he came out and said, we didn't execute. We had a great game plan. It just wasn't worked out. On Monday, he came in and was like, hey, so this is my fault with the timeout that we had in this. Coaches, we need to put our players in better positions to succeed. And it was interesting because it was like, you had, you had to see the game film for, <laughs> to be able to look at that. It was just a, very obvious to people watching the game. The Lions knew what was happening. And so it seems kind of like how it's you know, entering into the final three games of the season, this is the first time it seems like that there's been a willingness from Wilkes to admit that there was problems and issues that they had from the coaching staff. And this almost feels kind of like it might be a little bit of a too little, too light type of a thing for the Cardinals. Um, let's move and talk a little bit about just with the team and the structure. I know we mentioned a little bit with Steve Keim. One of the things that Keim has had to be kind of, I guess you could say accountable for, is the porous offensive line. Uh, you can also talk about how that is – directly tied to DJ Humphreys, who's out for the year, uh, having a knee issues. It seems like his knee kept swelling back up after they were looking at it, has to have that procedure. Another Cardinals going under the knife this year, Robert Kandichi with an ACL tear. No sign of if it's a complete tear, if it's a partial tear, but he is indeed out for the year. And this is, you know, uh, we've talked about Kandichi as far as lack of production, lack of availability. He still was second in the team in tackles for loss, second on the team in sacks, played only 50% of the defensive snap, but he was their second most productive player in his role. And this is kind of a sad end, at least. It's not like it's totally unexpected, but it, it kind of takes it from bad to worse in that sense with an ACL tear, because now you're having to have questions about if he's ever going to be able to keep that same explosion, you have questions about the recovery time. The, the, it just takes it to a whole new level once you start talking about a taking all of those small knee issues and all of those small lower body injuries, and now you're adding a major knee injury on top of it. I just think that that kind of it's almost like feels like a nail in the coffin as to Robert Kimdichie's future with this Arizona Cardinals team, and I, I hope that's not the case. I hope he can bounce back and you know be productive, but he, this is a guy who isn't going to be returning for his fifth-year deal most likely or probably even returning after that for a second contract regardless. Yeah, in my opinion, Blake, it's definitely the nail in the coffin for him. I think he's he is, I don't, I don't want to say done as an Arizona Cardinal, because I think at some point he's going to dress next year. 
but I think you talk about the rehab. I think you talk and we question his work ethic to this point, you know, how committed he's, is he going to be? And I think that's fair question because every year we talk about how talented he is, but is he engaged? Is he into it? Is he working out? Is he consistently showcasing his ability to lead? Um, And I think he hasn't done any of those things up until the expectations of being a, you know, a late first round pick. And now you talk about coupling an injury with that. And I I think it's just going to be a scenario in which whomever's the head coach of this team, you'll use the excuse because he is under contract. You're not, you can't cut him now because of an injury that if you get anything from him, that's great. It's a bonus. Certainly you cannot count on him moving forward and barring something unforeseen, barring in a, you know, a miracle recovery in the pro bowl season. I don't see any scenario in which they pick up his fifth year option. I think next season will be Roberts last year. He plays defensive tackle. He's explosive. He, he, he plays a position where, you know, generally guys get, second, third, fourth, fifth chances, right? He can yeah. stick around the league as a backup and, and float around. But I think that the ship has definitely sailed on him ever being a consistent producer for this team. Certainly does not warrant a second contract. And when you're talking about somebody not having their fifth-year option picked up, it's generally a sign that he has not panned out. So mm-hmm. it's unfortunate because I think that you know, a lot of people were rooting for him. I think that a lot of people thought he could be the second coming of Tyron Matthew in the desert, off the field concerns, but super talented player from the SEC. Uh, and then clearly it just was not to be. You knew the, mo- the minute Bruce Arians had to get on him and that he just w- – it wasn't clicking in his, in his first offseason with the team uh, that we were in for a bumpy ride. And then, again, injuries um, – you know, he teases you – with, with those performances of, you know, dominance, but at the same time to be an NFL stud, to be a stud player in the NFL that you can commit big money to, you have to consistently perform. Robert doesn't do that. He doesn't get that. That's what the great ones do. And again, it's, I think it's a work ethic thing because the talent is clearly there and, and you know, and it's hard to be that consistent. It's you know, you see what the JJ Watts do and Aaron Donald's do consistently to be great and Robert just doesn't have those kind of intangibles. And now with the ACL injury, it's unfortunate. Uh, you know, I hope he does well somewhere else eventually when he's not a Cardinal because I think he's a good guy. Uh, and he hasn't had any off the field issues with the Cardinals. So that, you know, you could at least say that their, you know, concerns were, um, you know, eased off the field. But on the field, he just, he hasn't done enough. And the injury, I think, is. Yeah, I, I would at least agree with that. The the toughest thing with Kamdichi, at least, is some of the work ethic stuff, and I understand the questions, especially because that was an area coming out. I think it came down to the fact that Robert was a top 10, you know, football talent, but not a top 10 football player. And I think a lot of that was at the time and the grading scale needed him to be on the field, learning and growing. And this is year three that we've seen, at least of him since the 2016 year. We haven't seen the performance, the progress that has been warranted. And part of that, I think, is just because it was going to take a while. And it was a spot of he wasn't good enough to be, it wasn't ready enough to be on the field his first year. Second year, couldn't stay on the field healthy enough. Third year, same situation. So I'll give props for what he's done. I think that it is an area where it's a clean break. My hope is that he'd go on to be able to have a successful career, but it'll probably be with the Arizona Cardinals, and it'll probably be the Cardinals having to revamp a lot of their defense and their defensive line, especially considering that there's a history now you have of lower body injuries. You're adding an ACL now on top of that. Like, There's no guarantee that he's going to be – in camp next season, at least, of course. And then with Rodney Gunter being a free agent, there's just a whole lot the Cardinals are going to have to look for. Um, Speaking of revamping, let's talk a bit about this because the question that Cardinals fans have been 
pouring over, it seems, ever since maybe the first week of the year, we were like, oh, maybe this whole Steve Wilkes train is not going to be as great. And now it's kind of as the narrative has extended, it's always turned into, okay, are we going to keep Wilkes or not? We're going to keep Kime or not? And now it seems to have turned into a spot where Steve Wilkes hasn't really given you a choice as far as if you're going to keep him or not because of the impact of Rosen, the lack of issue, the problems you've seen on the defense. Even though the defense had took at least some steps forward we've seen over the last few weeks, you still saw that step back where Zach Zenner was just able to run like wild for that final drive when you needed just to get one single stop. I think that that's part of what just kind of has ultimately sealed his fate. He would have had to probably win a couple of games, maybe this game, contend in the Atlanta game and then the Rams and Seahawks game. Now it looks like the team is going to be entering into a slugfest that they're not prepared for. The big question is going to be now with Steve Kine because you look at how this team was constructed, the ideas behind it of the mentality they had obviously was let's go into the season, get a veteran quarterback, bring in a veteran offensive coordinator. We've got a first-time defensive head coach, hopefully make the defense better and play while our quarterback catches up. The idea and what they were looking at as far as their plan of action was – one that doesn't really seem to work in today's NFL. It's You can justify some of the choices that they made. Ultimately, you can say they made the wrong choice as far as with McCoy. They didn't evaluate the talent for that. They didn't evaluate the talent with Bradford. The offensive line, the signing of Andre Smith, trusting DJ Humphreys. And then just the other decisions they made of having the injury-prone offensive line. And then on the backside, at least of the defensive, not finding any linebackers that really fit Steve Wilkes' defense. And to the point where Buchanan is benched and play, uh, basically playing in the fourth preseason game and there's still no acquisitions being made. You feel like that Steve Kime in that essence, at least overall, is, it seems like he's kind of lost his his touch a bit in terms of being able to accept and looking at where there are problems. And I know we talked a bit about value, but one of the biggest things I know some fans even pointed out to me was before the game, Michael Bidwell and Steve Kine, they've always were sharing time in the box together, at least without usually they're down on the field, greeting fans and talking to fans before the game, before they head up into the box. Some fans were looking and said they didn't see Steve Kine down on the field with Michael Bidwell. And I, that, maybe that's totally different for all we know. He could have just had flu like symptoms. Didn't want to shake any hands for that one, but it was interesting because it doesn't seem like there's, as much of a connection between with Wilkes and the coaching staff, Steve Wilkes, even today, you know, you go from DJ Humphers being hopeful he'll play to having a, you know, ACL tearing is out for the season. Seems like there's just a lack of communication that's happening in the Cardinals department. Those fractures are not good. And I don't think that they build well for Steve Kime. So I'll, I'll pose this question to you, John, do you think at this point and during this week that Steve Kime has his job for 2019 or are we talking about the seat isn't just hot, that his seat is gone and this is just, you know, a lame duck type of staff waiting for next year for the complete revamping. What, what are your thoughts about where the Cardinals currently are, are we, as far as this week is concerned? I think that Steve and Wilkes are, are both going to be relieved of their duties and going to be casualties on, on Black Monday uh, after the season finale at Seattle. Um, I think that Steve has done a lot of good things for this organization. I, I think that Unfortunately, his lack of success with his first round picks is going to be his undoing combined with the fact that he had an embarrassing off the field incident last summer uh, that almost, I think, led to his uh, dismissals Cardinal GM. Uh, and so right now, basically, this team is in a position where they have to pivot. And I think Michael Bidwell knows that he sees the competitiveness in his own division. He sees the fact that Kyle Shanahan is an offensive guru and is going to get his quarterback back next year. He sees Russell Wilson, who's a future Hall of Famer, a Seahawk team that seemingly rebuilt on the fly and now is a perennial you know, playoff contender still. And the LA Rams are potentially a Super Bowl favorite with Jared Goff. So 
he needs to make an adjustment. I think he knows that. I think he's going to come out and apologize to the fan base that that week after the season, and he's going to say we're going to do better. This is unacceptable. Rarely does a GM and or a head coach survive um, a season in which they have the number one overall pick. I'd like to do some research in, into how often that, that comes about. Uh, and I don't include the Cleveland Browns because, you know, God only knows how they operate. And they kept Hugh Jackson after, after that for consecutive seasons. But what I will say, Blake, is I think that I, I think that Steve has done a lot of good things for this franchise. And we definitely owe him a bit of gratitude for what he was able to do mm-hmm. with Bruce Arians uh, for the, oh, yeah. for the, you know, for the early portion of his tenure as Cardinal GM, but the, just the time has come. Uh, he had a, he had a nice run, but again, the, the lack of success, I keep going back to the first round picks is, is, you know, everybody talks about the offensive line. That's a big, that's a big deal clearly. Uh, but at the same time, he missed now consecutively on what will be, I think five to six straight first rounders, Jonathan Cooper, Dayon Buchanan, Robert Kim, or excuse me, DJ Humphreys, Robert Kim Dietschy, Hassan Reddick. Right now, none of those individuals look like they're going to receive second contracts. I guess it could be a little bit premature. Hassan Reddick is in his second year. Uh-huh. But those, those previous five I mentioned, none of them look like they're going to receive second contracts. Majority of them, other than DJ Humphreys and, and partially Robert Kim Dietschy, will be won't be on the team next year. Um, and so I think that He'll probably try to hang his hand on the fact that he found Chandler Jones. He acquired him for what is considered next to nothing now. He found Carson Palmer. He hired Bruce Arians. He did some good things. Um, and then he clearly he was able to get Josh Rosen at a discount. But I don't think that's going to be enough to save him. It's unfortunate because I think he is a good a good you know soldier good for this GM. franchise. Yep. He's been with the organization yeah since early 2000s. But, again, these things run their course. And, and you need a, a, a new voice for your football program that's that's you know it's it's a business and he's not yeah and that's the hardest thing about what the lack of producing that you're saying there is if you were looking at this cardinals franchise and able to say here's all that steve kime has done in the past and you're looking at the moves in areas that he made you could make an argument saying okay maybe we should just give him one more year he had one bad year i would argue at least that they still made the playoffs in the last two years and this year the choices everything the offseason was so terrible it's like the whole connection that you see of the cardinals making smart solid decisions it just seemed like it went away as soon as arians left and that seems to be the biggest concerning factor but for me it's more about what are the building blocks that you have for this team moving forward because if you're saying all right well what are the players that we have that are going to be going into 2019 for whatever the new head coach is going to be what is the building block that you're going to be having? What's the foundation you're laying on? It starts with Josh Rosen. It's like, okay, that's a huge win for Steve. Kind of imagine what we'd be talking about as far as with this Cardinals team. If you know, we're like, well, is Justin Herbert going to declare, or is Drew Locke, or if the team would be signing, you know, Joe Flacco to a deal? There would be so many issues and problems. So he's got that box checked. But you're talking about the Big Four and Chandler Jones and. Then the question marks that are – and I guess you can say Buda Baker belongs up there. They did trade up for him. They can evaluate. But the question marks of Fitzgerald, the question mark of Patrick Peterson that we haven't even you know gotten into again after another difficult loss. And David Johnson clearly taking at least a step back, whether that's the offense or some tentativeness, at least not sure of what his role or what his responsibility is. But the building blocks we have after that, there's – there's really nothing. You still are uh, like we even have summed this up at least. If you're going into this NFL draft, you could argue that the Cardinals they could draft a defensive tackle with their first two draft picks. You say, yeah, they they need that. You could say that they could draft 
uh, defensive lineman, you know, a defensive lineman, like a defensive tackle and a defensive end with their first two picks. So you can say they could draft two wide receivers. Who knows if Larry Fitzgerald's going to be back. I lean more toward the side of like right now it's at a 50-50 because I still think that this might not be how Fitzgerald will want to go out. But then I look at having to come back with a new coach, new offseason, and maybe this is going to be ultimately – you know, the end for him just because of the, the lack of poor usage. And just, it feels like maybe he won't want to come back for this type of rebuild and moving on, which is sad because that's kind of what we were sold on with Steve Wilkes is that he was coming back for Wilkes. We were looking at maybe two or three years of Larry. Perhaps this is the end. You could say you take two wide receivers. You could say you could take two cornerbacks at least for that one, because you just need another threat across from Patrick Peterson. And if Patrick Peterson, you know, ends up, you know, still demanding a trade wants to leave this team, isn't accepting any type of extension, then, you're moving on at least from him. You could draft two cornerbacks. You could talk about drafting two offensive linemen. You may need a tackle on either side of Josh Rosen. You may need two guards. Like the depth that they have for the Cardinals as far as building blocks, like you're really looking at Josh Rosen, Mason Cole, Christian Kirk, and Chase Edmonds. You're looking at your rookie class from this year and David Johnson. That's what your entire building block is. And the fact that those rookies are playing because you couldn't get solid depth at least or better players in front of them. To me, that just seems to be such an indictment of the Cardinals need to just say, you know what, we, it's time for, I think, a clean slate because what you also don't want to have is if you come back next year, say, we'll give Steve Kime one more year, they have a poor draft and all of a sudden he's only lasting one more year, all of a sudden, or, you know, God forbid they strike out on their next head coach. Then you're talking about, you know, like five different contracts to have to deal with. And it just ends up being to a mess. I think that the Cardinals being able to embrace that rebuild now completely throughout the organization, coming back in with lower expectations, recognizing this may be a two-year process before they're able to kind of get back into learning how to make winning football again, I think is going to be the biggest key. And I would agree with you that I think that the more that we'll see with it, I, I, we've got a game against the Falcons next week. I don't expect the Cardinals to win that game. We'll get into the Falcons game at the end of this podcast. But you then have a game against the Rams and game against the Seahawks with things to play for and those are two dominant offenses with great playmakers on defense I think that it's going to be abundantly clear and it's not just the it's not just losing that does it it's perpetual losing when you lose you know five games in a row to end the season that's kind of what ends up getting coaches and GMs ultimately fired Let's go real quick because I did want to at least talk a little bit about some of this briefly. Um, Cardinals did move up in the draft for that one. I want to make sure we can focus a little bit on just the dilemma of finding a head coach, at least. We'll get a bit back more into the DeFilippo. But what are your thoughts, at least still right now, John, with the Cardinals? The other three teams they're competing against move up. They play the Falcons this week, who are, I believe, right now in the top, having a top five pick. Cardinals would potentially flip-flop with the Falcons should they win this week, surprisingly. But what are your thoughts, at least, about where the Cardinals are? I mean, after the Niners won the other week and the Raiders, you just kind of get the question of, even if they do end up with the second overall pick, it just feels like this is the worst team in all of those different senses for the most part. I still feel like the Niners could maybe even pull off one more win for that. But what are your thoughts overall about the Cardinals in this position pick? And do you still think that they should look at trading back to add talent or take a look at the guys who are there as far as the – we may not even be in the Jonah Williams category. I might be talking about the Nick Bosa, Quinn and Williams sweepstake at this point. Yeah, I think that Blake, they're going to have a shot at the number one overall pick. And I think that they deserve it. I think the fan base deserves it after watching this, you know, this product on the field this year. Uh, I, I'm not sure. I, I don't see the Cardinals winning any game this year, other than the fact that I did see today that Seattle could start resting starters, it said, as early as week 16, which is not good news for us if we're trying to get the number one overall pick. <laughs> but at the same time, I'm not sure the Cardinals, even against the Seahawks' second and third tier players uh, in week 17 in a meaningless game, can pull out a victory. 
So I'm just going to assume the Cardinals are going to go 13 and three. The, the Raiders have Derek Carr. Three and thirteen. Like, three and 13. Oh, hold up, hold up. Three and thirteen. Like <laughs> I was about to say, like that's the one. Yeah, yeah that we uh, want to make clear that the the Cardinals have, that and that just reminded me of the thirteen and three season we saw in twenty fifteen. What a fall from grace this has been. My goodness. Yes, three three and thirteen. Um, so I, I think the Raiders are going to win again. They've got Derek Carr. He's playing good football. They just beat Pittsburgh. The Niners are in seemingly every game every week. That shows you the disparity between coaches. Imagine what, what Kyle Shanahan could do with Jimmy Garoppolo right now with that San Francisco offensive line. They have no skilled players outside of rookie Dante Pettis to speak of, and they're scoring 30 points a week. So, again, I, I think the Cardinals are going to end up with the first or second overall pick. Uh, I'm always in favor of moving down a couple picks if you can acquire enough draft capital. I think that's why we're seeing uh, a renaissance in, in Indianapolis. The Saints, or excuse me, the Colts were able to acquire multiple second-round picks from the Jets for moving down uh, just a couple spots last year and were still able to get Quentin Nelson in the top 10. I think they ended up picking six overall. I'd like to see the Cardinals do something similar. If there are teams, and you know there will be, that are interested in moving up for a quarterback, and I think even if they have the first overall pick, as much as I like Joey Bosa, uh, he does have a history of, of some, you know, some injuries. Mm-hmm. And do we really want another defensive lineman that can't stay healthy? I love Joey Bosa when he brings um, – or excuse me, Nick Bosa, what he brings uh, on the field. But he's got to be available, and we've got plenty of time to talk about that mm-hmm. uh, this coming offseason. But, again, if I'm getting a package of multiple, you know, first-round picks, second-round picks, whatever, and then I'm also going to look into dealing Patrick Peterson – the Cardinals could really own this draft and come away with six to seven legitimate prospects and starters. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, that can, that you want to talk about fast tracking a rebuild. That's the best way to do it. So let's say hypothetically, they don't get the first overall pick. They're picking second. Uh, I, I think that pick would be absolutely up for grabs because I think the Niners want Nick, Nick Bosa because they have no resemblance of a pass rush. They're, they're in dire need. The Cardinals clearly could use him. Um, but they could also trade down and take somebody like Josh Allen from the University of Kentucky and pick up an extra first next year or an extra second and a third this year and add two more starters. I, I always think the more picks you have within the top 100, within those first three rounds, the, the more likely you're going to hit on quality starters. And right now the Cardinals need quality starters. They need, they need guys who they can plug in next year that can grow, that, you know, we're always looking for pro bowlers, but at the same time, they need bodies to fill this roster next year. And they're going to be able to do that and supplement it with free agency with the money that they have, but get some young talent that can grow around Josh Rosen that can, you know, you can feed into this defensive line that, that suddenly looks depleted. But again, if they take Nick Bosa, clearly I'm not going to complain. He's a generational talent, but I, I just love accumulating draft picks because at the end of the day, you know, I'll, I'll go back to the to the to the draft of a few years ago when it was consensus that Jadavion Clowney was was the best player in that draft, and then a player named Khalil Mack went fourth overall a couple picks later from a small school and is a better pro now than Jadavion. And Aaron Donald went a few more picks after that. So that's, yeah, that's right. So it's it, at the end of the day, it, a lot of luck plays into it, but at the same time, the more picks you have the more likely you're going to hit on people. Now, that's not to say it always works. You look at the, the Rams, the, the trade down uh, with, I believe it was RG3 and the Washington mm-hmm. Redskins. They, they hit on very few players. So it does go both ways, and talent is talent. But if you, if you have a guy rated just below Nick Bosa or Quentin Williams or whomever, 
and you and you think to yourself, I can add at least two more starters with these picks that I'm going to get. You t- you take those picks and you run uh, to the bank. So uh, I'm excited to talk draft because it's going to reinvigorate. I think this fan base because they deserve a high pick. They deserve new players because the players right now aren't cutting it. Um, but I, I think that the Cardinals definitely are going to be in a position to have that. Right now, Vegas has them as the favorite for the first overall pick. Yeah, especially since it just, yeah, like you said, it doesn't feel like they're going to win another game. We were shocked, at least I know, when Steve Wilkes did win another game, at least. It wasn't too shocking to me that the Broncos, which have struggled you know, mightily under Vance Joseph up and down, at least even despite that winning streak, it wasn't a surprise that they were able to go out. Nick Mullins has played incredibly well. Maybe they have another type of a Nick Foles player on their hand, at least. But, yeah, I, I think I kind of have taken a little bit of maybe a different approach where I – can see how the Colts have built up that roster. They've had a couple of home runs. I also looked at the other approach of you see how the Julio Jones trade, or even when we're looking at the Tennessee Titans, like the Titans essentially came out of the trade down, at least from the Jared Goff trade, really came out with, they've got a right tackle, they've got a decent tight end, and then they ended up with a, you know, a couple other players who are kind of, you know, it's, it's infusing the talent with some younger players, but there's not really been a home run talent that they had. And some of it is they moved back, you know, but they, yeah, but the they got to the playoffs last year. Yep. They did get to the playoffs last yeah. year. Part of that is like that. That's where you see is they did build up and have a talent run. And the other factor is they moved back, like you said, all the way to like, I think it was like the pick number 14 or I think it was pick eight. And then they traded back a second time for more picks. So, and they're, you know, they've got a very, very talented defense, at least under Mike Vrabel. They've at least been able to finally establish and figure out the running game overall at least for the most part and kind of great offensive line for that they've been able to get a great offensive line kind of a couple of tweaks and fixes of Mario at least where he seems to kind of be at least clicking it up they still haven't been able to totally get the weapons that he's needed around him as far as the receivers but you're talking at least about how if you could tell me if the Cardinals could trade back from say you know pick number two to pick number four and pick up a first rounder for next year that might be something you could at least talk me into overall especially if you're saying hey we see the talent that's up over here that someone's moving up for a quarterback you could still get an elite talent but I do at least feel like that there's not going to be a chance for the Cardinals to make one of those type of I don't know if there's going to be that opportunity that the Cardinals will have because for one hand, the cost that it's going to meet it I think back to the Miles Garrett situation the Browns are in a position where you know they were looking at some of the quarterbacks in that class they weren't taking them at number one they had a certain price that they had on giving up the number one pick to another team that was moving up because they said that miles garrett was on the board miles garrett has turned into such a stud in cleveland and that's kind of the area of when you look at bosa and you look at quinn and williams who's been nearly unblockable you look at how ed oliver was dominant since he was an 18 year old as a true freshman as well you i think that that's the cost that you are going to be giving up something at least in that elite level of talent so maybe it'll just depend on what the cost is going to be versus the benefit um i would have no problem if the cardinals i'd have a problem more i think if they traded back quite a ways and i think that's what steve kind would probably prefer to do as a gm if he would retain his job I, I think it's becoming more unlikely now but he would be the person who would look at trying to trade back maybe even multiple times acquire picks and talent and with the draft being such a crapshoot I, I it, there's no guarantee obviously that you won't see you know a Jadavian Clowney from a Bosa you won't obviously guarantee that it won't be a Joey Bosa as well so I would lean toward the fact of having less picks and acquiring talent and then more of relying on the fact that you didn't give up all of those draft picks at least that the Rams and the Eagles did they were able to surround their team with talent granted they had more talent starting out than the Arizona Cardinals probably did but they were still able to utilize that cap space and really rebuild very quickly with filling those spots on the roster so I would lean toward that approach of fill those spots on the roster at least and get those talented players be able to rebuild through free agency and for the draft just draft talent be able to make some of the moves that are there 
Cardinals end up with a top pick in the top of the second round, that'll be a resource like they've never had as far as either being able to move up for a fifth-year option or being able to just leverage that pick in a trade down for a team that's trying to move to the top of round two in that next round. So I think the Cardinals, you're, you're in a spot where you're – in an advantageous situation, I think that that would be something where whoever the next GM of this team, if uh, again, I, I'm believing at this point more likely than not would be taking over, would be able to make moves. Uh, then I think the year two, you'd start talking about, hey, the Cardinals now have draft picks. They can make trades for veteran players, be able to bring in more talent around Rose and starting to make a run similar to how the Rams have done in year three. So let's kind of close out tonight, John, and talk a bit about um, – we can talk a little bit about the Falcons, but I'd prefer to just talk a bit about where are the Cardinals going to go with this coaching staff? Because we both have kind of been in agreement that you're not going to be able to bring in a guy like Filippo. And with Mike McCarthy, it's an area where we both are not really the biggest fans of it. Perhaps you would see some improvement. Maybe the Cardinals, after beating you, would shy away from that as well. Or he may just eschew this situation completely and go to a spot with a veteran quarterback, or maybe he would want to develop. But – I just feel like it's, it's, he's not going to come here. So where in the world then did the Arizona Cardinals go in this situation? Because you can't just basically walk back out and be able to say, we have to keep Steve Wilkes a second year. You kind of have seen that there's no point to it. You have to be able to go back out. But where in the world are the Cardinals going to need to go to get this situation fixed? So you get this 32nd ranked offense you know, taken care of and making sure that they have the right head coach in place who's able to be not just a leader for this team, but is able to bring some much-needed football intelligence and much-needed modern sensibility of football uh, where the NFL is going right now to this Cardinals franchise. Yeah, that's a great question. I want to begin to answer that with a with a, kind of a funny story. So my wife, who does not follow football closely, the, there was a game on the other day. The Chargers were playing. They were playing well. I, you know, she knows that we're potentially going to be looking for a new head coach. And I said, yeah, we got to go with an offensive guy. And she goes, why don't you hire the offensive guy from San Diego? They're doing a good job. <laughs> and I'm like, well, who used to coach for the Cardinals? So, yep. you know, and that's, that's kind of the funny, like, you know, subplot to a, a lot of these coaching searches is that Frank Wright, who's doing a bang-up job with Indianapolis and Andrew Luck, was fired by the Arizona Cardinals. So it's yeah. just like Freddie Kitchens, Freddie Kitchens was not Freddie Kitchens. Yeah. Up, which was <laughs> that's 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 a great comparison. That's a great point. So again, I I think that they're gonna have to get really creative. I think that they're you know, it's gonna be tough for Michael Bidwell and whomever he hires as GM because I think at the end of the day, Blake, they're they're gonna want somebody with some experience because you you're just gonna go um with a guy with, with you know, the guy I his name escapes me. I can't pronounce his last name, Eric. Ben enemy, the offensive coordinator, Bernardi or something at least for that. Yeah, the offensive coordinator for Kansas City, who I like, but he's a one-year coordinator. That's just what happened yep. with Steve Wilkes, who he's a run game fire. Guy. He's a but, run game. Yeah, here's the other thing too. Like he's in charge of the run game that's there, and the run game it's kind of taken a bit of a back step with Kareem Hunt gone, and so you're realizing that it still is ultimately just Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes. And I know that's some of the that was one of the yeah. things I remember about with Rosen and the development is people are questioning because they're seeing rookie returns now from pretty much each of the the rookie quarterbacks for the most part. And like Rosen's like lows have been lower than a lot of these quarterbacks, maybe not the multiple interceptions that Darnold had, but the highs of this is like, they're looking for where those type of upsides are. And I think it comes down to the one thing that Rosen is, has that's different from all the other quarterbacks is that all of them have a, advanced sense of athleticism and being able to use their legs and mobility where not to say that Rosen yep. is immobile, 
but he's not being used in that fashion, at least. Like, there's barely any bootlegs that are being used. He's not really using very many read options. It's been very old-school, traditional type of offense. And a lot of times, it's either the scrambles that you've seen from Josh Allen is, like, you know, almost 500 yards from scrambling. Mayfield's been able to effectively scramble and move around. He's also in a spot where he's got a lot of space with Cleveland having a solid offensive line and some well-designed plays. You talk about Darnold being able to move outside the pocket or being able to make things happen with their legs that Rosen has not been able to. And I think that was one of the things you and I even talked about in the podcast was Dak Prescott was able to make stuff with his legs. Carson Wentz did. A lot of the successful rookies all had that mobility that was at spades. Mahomes, you're seeing the same thing with him. And the fact that Rosen hasn't been able to have that same type of skill set, I don't think it limits him as far as what you can say as far as for his potential. But I think that it does at least say that he was going to be a guy who maybe had less rookie returns right off the bat, unless he was Agreed. in a spot right from Matt Ryan. Because when those rookies are in trouble, they just have been using their legs. Or like the Ravens have been designing runs for Lamar Jackson to be able to use that natural athleticism, what comes naturally to the players at least are being able to extend it. So I don't think it's less about Josh Rosen. I think it's more of the expectations that we have when we're comparing him to these quarterbacks. Are They all have that in common. Rosen does not. And if you're going to be judging him based off the fact that he's not like Josh Allen – scrambling around for like you know about 500 or something yards at least for that as a rookie and I don't have any problem at least with saying that yeah you can say Josh Allen said a bit better returns for that one but long term is the mindset of a lot of the scrambling versus with Rosen being that traditional mental quarterback and he'll have to still take a step forward mentally as far as his processing he'll have to be able to do more that's like the biggest thing we are hoping that there's that going to be in year two but that's the biggest thing I've seen with each of those and they need the right coach to be able to to use it utilize and unlock that. Yeah, I, I think that go back to the to the list of, of guys who I think that are going to get thrown around. I, not necessarily they're going to be realistic or not. I think Matt Campbell's a name from Iowa State. If you're able to pry him away, yeah, I don't be hard it. to try him away. Yep. But again, these are the names that are going to come out. Um, you know, to a lesser extent, you know, a Harbaugh, you know, a, a Brian Kelly. Um, Obviously, Lincoln Riley, I think, could have his pick of NFL jobs. He's not coming to Arizona. John Filippo is not an option anymore. You can't hire Josh McDaniels. I think the name I, I like to keep going back to, we talked about this, Blake, is Matt LaFleur is the offensive coordinator from Tennessee who we just spoke about. Uh, he's an offensive coordinator two times. He was the coordinator of the Rams offense a year ago, headed over to Tennessee. He's calling plays over there, doing a nice job. Uh, previously was the Atlanta Falcons quarterback coach, uh, and specifically Matt Ryan's quarterback coach, when we saw that turnaround in that Super Bowl run of 2016, before that he coached quarterbacks at Notre Dame, the quarterback coach in, in Washington before that. He is, he is an offensive guy. That's his yeah. background. He's only 39 years old. Uh, and, again, I think he's elevated that team in, in Tennessee, and I think he's made Marcus Mariota more uh, a viable quarterback. And I, I happen to think Rosen is a better throw, pure thrower of the football I think that he is somebody who I would at least interview. Uh, and I, I, I know that it's already been reported that the Jets might have some interest in him. Uh, they see him up close being in the AFC. So that's the name that I would throw out as, as somebody to watch, especially if, if Tennessee's able to make a little bit of a run here at the end of the year. He, his, he could catch fire, especially if that offense continues to produce. Uh, and they just put up 30-plus points against Jacksonville. Now, I know that they ran all over them, but at the same time, I'd be anxious to see if, if he's somebody that they could come in and give Rosen a spark. Uh, I, don't, I don't think Mike, Mike McCarthy is an option. I think he's going to be the next head coach, uh, potentially, of either the Denver Broncos or the Cleveland Browns, uh, because I think Vance Joseph's going to lose his job. 
But again, we're we're talking about a lot of franchises that are going to be looking for offensive head coaches. I just mentioned mm-hmm. the Broncos. I think the Browns are going to go for an offensive guy. I think the Jets are going to go for the an offensive guy. The Cardinals clearly. Um, I think Green Bay's fifty fifty. But you know, again, the Cardinals are going to have some competition. So oh, yeah. you know, Michael Bidwell needs to to find a general manager that can sell this franchise because I do think, and I'm not being biased because clearly I, I harp on these teams' negativity enough. I think the Cardinals are going to have a lot of great selling points. Um, you know, moving into 2019, cap space, flexibility, patience, franchise quarterback, uh, high pick in the draft. Um, I, th- I think this job is going to be viewed as, you know, and look at this. Look at this way, Blake. Is Frank Wright was the last coach hired last year after McDaniel spurned the, the Colts, and he's potentially one of the coaches of the year. Yeah. Uh, and so it, it can work out, but the Cardinals need to find their Frank Wright, their Matt, you know, their Matt Nagy. Um, you know, to a lesser extent, they're, they're Sean McVay, who everybody wants. And I, I honestly thought it was going to be DeFilippo. And uh, unfortunately, you know, he's, he's got a roadblock in his career right now. And um, I think he ends up returning to Philadelphia next year and, and runs their offense. Uh, but I, clearly you can't hire him as your head coach after just, you know, going through that same scenario where, in which you hired a coordinator and Mike McCoy, who was fired midseason. I just don't think that's a good look. So if, if I had to say right now, I, I would work on, Somebody at the collegiate level who's an innovative guy, and if you're putting a gun to my head for a professional coordinator, I'd go LaFleur. Yeah, that's what's tough on that with LaFleur is just because it's been a rocky main voyage for him. It's kind of seemed like they've righted the ship. And this, the reason why he took that job with the Titans instead of staying on the Rams staff was for play-calling experience. So if you're talking about you want experience, this is another guy who's like a first-year OC for the most part that you're looking at. Now, maybe you try to supplement that with the Todd Bowles, but it's already kind of going down that route. And I think that with the Cardinals, you're in a spot where you're going to want to have a coach at least who – even if you are bringing back Todd Bowles, you're wanting to have at least more of a proven track record. At least, like, I think if someone talked about Byron Leftwich being potentially promoted, I'm like, well, two years of NFL coaching experience, one year at least as an intern, that doesn't seem like it's worth it versus, like, if you're looking at the job Freddie Kitchens is doing, perhaps that's a type of reunion. Kitchens and Bowles have been on the same staff before. Maybe that's almost like your Arians type model that seems to be out of all of the different spots right now that seems to be the only favorable one but there's a lot of things at least because right now you're right we're entering into a spot where it's not just that the Cardinals are going to be in massive competition as teams are trying to find the next Sean McVay I I think even the Jets are potentially looking at the Rams OC and Zach Taylor as trying to be the guy to help with Sam Darnold on their end for that one it might not be that you're able to acquire a guy like him but it does seem like there's all of these guys who are these kind of young up-and-coming OCs Todd Monkin even with the number one offense of the Buccaneers is probably at least going to get an interview or two but all of these guys are getting hired at least there's no guarantee obviously that they are going to be the next Sean McVay that's part of what we've at least seen overall with even with Steve Wilkes there's no guarantee that you get in you kind of sometimes have to luck out like the Cardinals did with Bruce Arians I think that I would at least have to look at the Cardinals model should be trying to find a guy who's at least going to be a quality qualified coach who's able to show that they've done it before and is able to put together a quality staff that's able to adapt to the current times. And that's going to be really tough to find. And that's why I think that I agree with you and outside the box hire, whether it's looking at the collegiate ranks, I mean, the, the biggest model as far as for how you can attain some of that success comes in, building around a certain identity. The Arizona State Sun Devils, you know, a lot of Cardinals fans at least are aware of what Herm Edwards did with this program where what was Lambase did for people overall. And then as time has gone by, they've realized, oh, this is a guy who with the motivation that he had in hiring people who are there ended up being the perfect overall kind of CEO and guy to cast a vision, being able to have so many years of experience from coaching, 
from being able to be as not just a player, but so many years of experience and then bringing in like really, really good quality staff with NFL experience and being able to recognize and say, Hey, this is where the college game is. We've got a player who's in a bowl game that we're going to have him announce that he's going to be sitting out. We're not going to fight with him over it for that one. We're going to prop it up because we know that him going to the NFL as a high draft pick and being healthy will help our program. They need that type of willingness and that type of ability to be able to learn. And I guess you could say you want a guy who's a coachable coach in that sense. And, I think that if I'm the, right now with the Colonels, I would look at some of the top offensive guys and do a couple of interviews, but I wouldn't just stick with offense. I think what the Cardinals need is a good quality coach, whether that means to go back and look at a guy like a Jim Schwartz. Maybe that's the case. Maybe it's looking at some of the people who are defensive. I wouldn't just stick to an offensive guy. They looked at Mike Munchak a couple of years ago. We were not, I think, fans at least for that overall, but I think the Cardinals, you need to start off, and start off with a good coach for that one, and then as long as that coach is able to bring in a person who can develop Rosen, or if they are that person who can develop Rosen, you'd love to have them tied together like the Sean Payton or the Sean McVay, obviously, would be your best bet. But at this point right now, just get that good quality coach, a guy who can turn everything around. And if that is the case, then the good the, the quarterback at least will be able to follow with this being turned. So I think for me right now, I think that it's going to be maybe the most – difficult job I can think of that you'll have to have for either the first time GM, if that's going to be with Michael Bidwell leaves or with Bidwell himself, if he's going to be having to check with contacts, looking into anything from NFL to collegiate. And that's going to be one of the spots of you, you messed it up this year for that one. You hopefully you're going to take that as a learning lesson moving into your next year. All right, John. Yeah, we'll be talking obviously more about the coaching situation. Let's wrap up tonight with some quick, at least score predictions for the Falcons game. Just some of what you're expecting from that game overall, because I think we're talking about this as being maybe not a blowout because of how the Falcons have struggled. The Cardinals defense has improved, but this is probably a game that the Cardinals are going to struggle in mightily. Yeah, I think that uh, final score in this one, I think the Cardinals get a single touchdown because the Falcons have been successful. Uh, have been vulnerable to the run. Um, and so I, I, I think that the Cardinals end up scoring maybe a David Johnson touchdown, uh, assuming he plays with the quad injury. And the Cardinals lose this one like 28 to 10. Uh, and again, a non competitive game that uh, it's two bad teams that, like you mentioned, Blake, are going to have top picks. Yeah, I think that it'll be interesting because this is going to be a, a lot of it. It'll be Patrick Peterson on Julio Jones. There's a couple of other weapons that are there. I do think that this may be a big Calvin Ridley type game, even with the better play that you've seen with the zone. And Falcons have had a lot of issues and problems. And um, it was interesting. If the Cardinals do end up managing to win this game, you're probably looking at them being the second coach killers of the season, at least while Falcons fans I talked to at least. They're like, man, if we lose this Cardinals team, like, fire everybody. And I think that's kind of the case of how Cardinals fans would feel, at least for the most part, if um, they're able to win this game. It won't be for the lack of what the Cardinals are doing so much as the Falcons just kind of completely imploding. I think going back to it, at least as far as Matt Ryan, unless he's going to turn the ball over like four or five times with the Cardinals and without Kandichi being able to get upfield with each of those with the other problems, I do at least think that this is going to be a game where Peterson maybe will slip on one of the plays or that one to have a big play that will get open. It won't be a huge scoring game, but I do think that this is going to be a road game that will favor the Falcons. Um, and I do think that this would be a game where I would say the Falcons would win 20-10 to 10 would be my prediction for the game. I don't think that it's going to be 
a big lead for the Falcons, but I think that when they come back out in the second half and get into that third quarter, I think there'll be just enough of adjustments. At least the Falcons will take a lead. The Cardinals will be able to come back. But I think this is going to be a game that the Atlanta Falcons will win. And I think the Cardinals are going to come back home for their last home game of the season against the LA Rams. And that's going to be kind of one of those uh, games that you dread as a fan because of the, you're at that point playing for semblance of pride. Uh, if you're a Cardinals fan and, just kind of almost expecting in some cases perhaps the inevitable. So if the Cardinals do win, it'll be an interesting thing to talk about next week, obviously, at least just because that'll be probably not correcting or changing stuff. It'll be interesting to look at some of the why as far as for how the Cardinals can pull that off. And then if the Cardinals do win, we may be talking about, you know, them kind of shooting themselves in the foot perhaps of causing more head coaching candidates to be out there and available with all those teams they're beating with not just the Packers, but maybe even the Atlanta Falcons if that is the case next week too. I want to thank again to all of our listeners again for joining us, listening to the podcast. Um, if this is your first time listening, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, it's a bit late in the season. We've got a lot as far as at the off season we'll be getting into, at least for this Cardinals franchise. Uh, if you want to check out any of the past shows, at least we're available, at least at Apple podcasts, um, being able to look at also on Google podcasts and you can find us as well on Spotify now. Uh, our link, at least, that we have with our Twitter account is at ROTBPod. You can always use the hashtag ROTBPod or ask ROTBPod for that as well. I recommend if you haven't listened to it yet, go back and I was listening to it again earlier today. The interview we did with John Ledger of the Draft Network as far as being able to look at what the Cardinals can accomplish this offseason. Um, I think that there's a lot of progress and opportunity that this team has as they move forward. And yeah, John, and I was thinking back to the beginning of the year with how excited we were with the Cardinals needing a coach, a quarterback and being able to rebuild the team. And now it's a little bit more of a rebuild than we thought, but it's uh, definitely a needed one. So why don't you tell the fans yeah. on the way out where they can find you on Twitter for any more of the dialogue about the Arizona Cardinals and the, uh, the debacle that has been this 2018 season. Yeah, that excitement is all but faded away. I'm at Johnny's Football, J-O-H-N-M-Y-S Football. I compared Steve Wilkes to being uh, Josh Rosen's uh, Tony Dungy to Peyton Manning. Uh, that was a bad Blake. one. Blake, where can they find you on Twitter? <laughs> yeah, you can find me at BlakeMurphy7, also writing for Revenge of the Birds. I have a new uh, article that I put up just this week, at least, about how uh, – just admitting a lot of how I was wrong about with Steve Wilkes, with how I was at least had to kind of come to a conclusion admit that I – really screwed up as far as for what I had thought of evaluations, not seeing through a lot of the warning signs that were there. Um, it was interesting was I, I do give some credit to Steve Wilkes because this week was one of the first weeks that he actually seemed to go and open up and admit that too. Previously, it had been kind of a lack of admitting that it had, you know, been anything as far as a part of the coaching staff overall. So credit at least to him for that one. And, um, you know, credit for him for helping the defense improve. But at this point, John, I think that you're right. The Cardinals are just in that spot of needing to take a step forward rather than continually trying trying to every time they take a step forward, taking two steps back against some of the worst teams that the NFL has to offer. I'll wrap it up for us at least. Thank you again so much for listening. Take care until next time. Hi, I'm Karis Fisher. I want to tell you about another podcast you should check out. It's called Recode Decode. Every week I talk to tech and media's key players about how they're changing our world. I interview tech executives like Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg, political figures like Hillary Clinton, and media personalities like John Kerryu who literally wrote the book on Theranos. Once again, the name of the show is Recode Decode, hosted by me, Kara Swisher. You can find it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to the show. See you there.